0: about 3 or 4 weeks ago um our, one of our sisters had a manifestation of a demonic of a demonic spirit and it is in my heart to I want to I want to really address that um I wanna address, we need to understand something. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, you have voice my name, okay. Uh, we deal with, we, we, do, we have, uh, we do, we're, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and that, the, that we're not fighting with people. We're not fighting human beings. Human beings are not our enemy. We are fighting the, the, against the forces of wickedness. There are two kingdoms the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. He says, if if uh, if Satan be divided against himself, his kingdom will fall. But if I drive out spirits by the finger of God, then you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so there are two kingdoms that are at war with one another, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And we have to understand something, that our times especially are going to be times that are going to be specifically energized by demonic activity and demonic powers. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful, to, to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. And so we see here, and and there's another verse where it talks about men will be fierce. And that same word fierce is the same word used for the demon-possessed man um, that Jesus met uh, in the the Gadarenes. The men who approached him, the Bible says they were exceedingly fierce and the Bible says that men will be the same way in the last time, which is an indication once again that we're gonna be fighting against demonic forces. So today I wanna to talk, I wanna share with you about what there are six ways, but I just maybe you know we'll we'll do it in over time, but I wanna begin this message by talking about how demons enter our lives. How how demons enter into our lives. How do we come under the influence of demons? How do we do that? In Job twenty-four thirteen, the Bible says, in Job twenty-four thirteen, Job chapter twenty-four and verse thirteen. Job chapter twenty-four, verse thirteen. Luke twenty four thirteen. The Bible says this. He says, There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not stay in its paths. All demonic activity begins with rebellion against the light. It's just like, for example, whenever you find in the Old Testament, you find, uh, you find Genesis through Malachi, I mean Genesis through Malachi, uh, Zechariah, and all this Genesis through Malachi, all the, all the Psalms, the Proverbs, the preaching, and in King David's time, all the wars, you don't find demonic activity um, being present. You don't find people casting out demons. You don't find that. But in the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene you find all kinds of activity of Satan. Why? Because the light has come. Light, light came into the world. The Bible says in him was the light, and that life was the light of men. So here comes Jesus Christ into the world, the light of heaven, and all of these demons become exposed. And so, all, and so they were there all along, But again, how how did they get their entry point? How did they get into the lives of the people? How did they get into the lives of the children of Israel? How is it that they infiltrate our nations, in in, in in our cities, in our our countries, our states? How it all begins, especially the Church of the Living God. How it all begins with rebellion against the light. Truth comes. The revealed truth of the Word comes. The revealed truth of Scripture comes. The Holy Spirit reveals it to you. Some God sends someone your way to speak it to you. God does these things for us, and then what do we do? We turn and rebel against it. And so that is how that is how it begins. And in John chapter three and verse sixteen, the Lord says this. In John chapter three and verse sixteen. John chapter three, 16 through 21. All demonic activity begins first and foremost with rebellion. This is why you have to watch your attitude towards hearing the truth. We have to watch our attitude. We have to watch our attitude towards truth because when we have a heart of rebellion against the truth, we, we immediately open up ourselves to demonic activity. the light has come into the world light has come into the world right the light of truth the light of holiness the way of righteousness it has the way of salvation it has come into the world jesus christ but what has men do what 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 did men do he says but men loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil So when when I'm working evil into my life, what am I going to do? I'm going to turn my back on the light. He says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. He says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so what are we saying here? We're saying that When we rebel against the light, what happens? We become, we're turning to what? We're turning away from the light to the darkness. We're turning away from light to death. And what does the Bible say what happens when we turn to death? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, I mean, that the wages of sin is death. And so the payment for working for sin is death. What happens when I am working for sin? When I am working for sin, when I am working to please myself, by sin. What is happening to me? In in uh, Matthew twenty four and twenty-eight, this is where we get in in this message I'm introducing how demons are attracted to sin. He says in verse twenty uh, Matthew twenty four, beginning at verse twenty six, he says, So if, you, if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And what Jesus is specifically speaking of there. Are demons he is saying that wherever the corpses and wherever there are dead things wherever there are things of death that means things that are anti Christ because Jesus Christ alone is the light and he is the life anything that is anti Christ anti God anti holiness are the things of death and if my life or if my environment is in is 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 consumed by those things, if it's involved in those things, if it has those things in it, then what ends up happening to me, I become a corpse from which the demons can feed on. The Bible says, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus Christ puts it another way. And with, uh, he says, your eye, he says, your eye should be full of light. He says, but if the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? How great is the darkness? That's it's it's death that the demons are attracted to. So if you notice, for example, just take, for example, people who use uh, people who listen to um, uh, hip hop music, for example, which is nothing more than population control. I just want to throw that out there. It's nothing more than population control. Glorify everything wrong, you know, murder, killing sex, everything, every pathology that's wrong with black people. They glorify that everything wrong with us. And we're the only ones that do that, degrade and diminish demean our women and treat our women as trash they're the only, we're the only ones who do that put music out there like that but if you have people who are listening to that music and rock music too and other forms of music and entertainment what you also tend to find is that there's drugs there there's alcohol there there's sexual immorality there because darkness draws all those elements together when you go to the club you find oftentimes there's date rape, there's alcohol, there's drinking, there's all the accoutrements of sin. And so these are, the, these are the things that demons are attracted to. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Okay, so remember that. Wherever you have darkness in your, in your life, wherever there, is, there are things of Satan, the things that are not of God in your life, whether it's the movies you watch, the TV, the music, the people who you hang around, the places you go, wherever there is darkness in our life, wherever we bring darkness into our life, know for certain that demons are following right behind it, because that is something dead, it's something of death, and they, can, they are attracted to that, they cling to that, they follow behind that, they look for that. In fact, that's, that's uh, what comes to mind is in Job chapter 1 when uh, Satan is, uh, the Lord says he's, um, uh, when, when the Lord asks the devil, where have you been? He says, I have been wandering to and fro, seeking whom, uh, wandering, uh, wandering to and fro in the earth and, uh, and walking back and forth in it. He says, have you, what is he looking for? What is he looking for? The Bible says Satan is like a roaring lion looking for, he, for whom he can devour who are they looking for? He's looking for some, something, someone, something to grab hold to in someone to devour them. He's looking for that sickness, that sin. He's looking for that, to, to get a foothold in that person's life. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's what attracts the demons. That's what attracts Satan's death and the things of death. Whereas, for example, the exact opposite is true. When you're worshiping and you're praising God, When you're worshiping and praying, when you're living holy, when you're set apart, when you're fearing God, when you're shunning evil, when you're showing love to your brothers and sisters, when you're humbling yourself and being obedient, who is attracted by that? The Lord God Almighty. That's why you feel the peace, the presence, the overpowering love of God in environments like that where there's humility, grace, mercy, forgiveness, the fear of God and holiness. You find the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ there blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart. When you, when you, are find, when you go to those groups, you find Jesus there because he is attracted to those things, to, holy, to the beauty of holiness. Now, one of the first ways, and today what I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about how demons enter, but the first way that I want to talk about how they enter is through uh, unforgiveness the first one of the most subtle ways that we become corpses that that are feed for demonic activity that become a breeding ground for demonic activity is through un, is through unforgiveness that's where that's 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 the odd, that's the one i want to talk about today if our affections are not for the light of christ the truth of scripture and the way of holiness It is because an idol has taken our affection. So first and foremost, if we find that our affections for God are waning, or if we have a desire for something else other than God, it is because an idol is there. And one of the most deceptive idols that steals our affection and brings us under the control of demons is unforgiveness. The Bible says in Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 26, Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 26. The Lord says this. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And that, what does that mean? That means that whatever you're angry about today, you should not be angry about tomorrow. Whatever thing whatever offense or whatever wrong or whatever hurt that someone has done to you. Um, if, if you have an issue with your spouse, spouse has an issue with you. You have an issue with a friend, friend has issue with you. You have an issue with a family member. They have an issue with you. You have an issue with the white man. White man has issue with you, whatever issue you have, whether it's family, marriage or race or whatever, whatever our issue is with people, it ought not to carry over into the next day. We don't need to be holding on to it. It needs to be canceled that same day. That's exactly what that means. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, meaning before that day is over, whatever the issue is, it needs to be rectified and squashed and not just a suppression because that's, that's fake too. All you're doing there is just suppressing what's already there and, and you're lying, you're deceiving yourself. We are to purge ourselves of whatever offenses we have that, ha- that happened on our lives that day on that day. And why does he say that? Because if you don't do that, he says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Because what does, when we, when that, again, that's a corpse. Unforgiveness is a dead, Body that demons are attracted to—it's death. It reeks of death. Unforgiveness is death. It reeks bitterness. It reeks. Uh, it reeks unforgiveness. It defiles everyone. It it, re- it breeds gossip, jealousy, accusations, insecurity, fear, doubt, um, uh, 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 un- undermining, rebelling, gossiping, manipulation. That's what it all. It uh, it breeds all those things. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews in chapter twelve. He says, let no bitter root spring up from among you, and so many be defiled. What is the root of bitterness? The root of bitterness is unforgiveness. That's where it begins, unforgiveness. And what happens, that thing turns into a whole tree that bears a whole bunch of fruit that everybody who is in your life has to eat and suffers from. It's poison for everyone. It's a poisonous spring. In Job chapter 26, what, and what, what, what will the devil do? When we hold on to our grudges, when we don't forgive, when we let the sun go down on our anger, and we maintain grudges and, uh, uh, through, we maintain our grudges and hold on to them into the future. This is what happens. In Job chapter th- 36, verse 13, he says, The godless in heart perish anger. You see, that's exactly what the devil does. The devil will make you godless through unforgiveness. He will make you godless through unforgiveness. He will strip He will that through unforgiveness. The devil can make you erase God from your life. He will make you cherish anger. He will make you cherish it, make you care for it, nurture it, feed it, meditate on it, love on it, care for it, keep it alive, keep the offense going, keep it going, keep it going, keep it, keep the memory going. That's exactly what the devil will do because he wants you and me to be godless. He wants to strip God out of our life. He says they do not cry for help when he binds them. So when God is binding you, trying to deal with you, trying to get, to, trying to get you to, to deal with yourself, and deal with your issue, to deal with your bitterness, you're not going to cry, cry to him for help. And in the end, what happens? You end up dying in your youth, and your life ends among the cult prostitutes. That means in the sense of you you wasted, well, not just, yes, it's literal. You end up ending your life among in prostitution because you're, you're whoring after another god. That's what bitterness becomes. Unforgiveness becomes another god. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's what it becomes. It becomes a God, and you end up dying before your time and in prostitution to another God. And that's exactly what the devil wants. Unforgiveness is manifested by stubbornness. Unforgiveness is manifested by stubbornness. How do you know if somebody has not forgiven? It's because they are stubborn. They don't change. They don't want to grow. They don't want to learn nothing. They don't want to grow past where their their comfort zone. They never want to go past their comfort. They never want to go past their past the limits of their knowledge. They don't want to go past that. Stubborn people can't be moved, and that is the clue. One of the clearest signs of unforgiveness. When we do not forgive, we become stuck in the past and literally cannot move forward. We can You you can't move forward. You're stuck there. The, it's like the bus of life is going on we get older we get promotions we are change jobs our children celebrate their birthdays all around us life goes on but our lives effectively stopped at the last place we have not forgiven and that's exactly what happens everything all around you is going on all of life is moving forward except except you your life is going on you're getting older like i you said you're changing jobs you're getting promotions all kinds of different things are happening in your life. your children are growing up, and so on but you're still stuck back in the past it's like there's a there's um there was a, a a a guy there was a therapist who was working with world war one i'm sorry world war two and uh vietnam veterans because they kept getting into trouble in this particular city they kept getting in the fights and kept getting in trouble and kept getting put in jail so this particular psychiatrist said well you know let's just have group therapy to try to keep these guys from going to jail until we can do the real work of one-on-one therapy and one-on-one treatment so and and they loved it all the the soldiers they trudged through snow rain I mean, whether it's sunshine, hail, rain, snow, they trudged and made it to that, to those meetings. And so, and they loved their psychiatrist. But one thing that the, and and they gave him, you know, they gave him a, you know, they, they loved him. And they, they made him like a, for the, uh, the Vietnam veterans, they gave him a uniform and made him their honorary captain, you know, and in, in the world war and in the world war two veterans, they gave them a a memento, a watch, from uh, general Patton's army. One of them, I guess, one of the men were in general Patton's third army and they gave him a, a, a watch, you know, to, as you know, to say, Hey, you're one of us. Um, but he noticed, he said, that's exactly that. He said that, he said, while he was touched by that, touched by the people giving the watch, he said it was also sad because that watch represented when their lives effectively stopped 1944. All, of the, all that time, their lives have been going on and on and on and on. But their lives effectively stopped in 1944. And, and that's exactly how we are with unforgiveness. And he also noticed that when he would try to push them beyond the war, when he would try to say, well, how's your home life? How's your relationship with your wife? How's your relationship with your kids? How's your job? How are things going with your job? How are you growing as a person? They couldn't get past, they couldn't go into that. They didn't want to talk about that. They only wanted to talk about the war. And that's exactly how we are with unforgiveness and bitterness. We can never get past the offense. All we can think about is the war, the conflict that we have with that person. All we can think about, you might, like I say, you might work a job, you might do this, you might do that, you might be involved in this and be involved in that, but you are effectively stuck where you have been offended if you have not forgiven. You're stuck there, and there's no amount of growth that can happen. Everything else just becomes pretend. Because you're not learning anything. You're not taking in anything. Nothing can come in. Nothing can go out. Love can't come in. Love can't go out. Because unforgiveness forms a wall that blocks all that from happening. You can't move forward. It's like you be- we become stuck in time capsules, taken out of the ground after 10, 20, or 30 years. You won't know what a time capsule is. You know, you, you, you put something in the ground and then say, well, hey, we're going to open it up 30 years later and see, what, see how, how much things have changed. Well, it's like we become the time capsule. When we don't forgive 10, 20, 30 years later, the whole world has changed. Everybody's changed. Everything all around us, our situation, our environment, everything has changed, and we have not changed at all. And thus, we make a God out. We make gods out of our offenses. Why? How do you say that, Pastor Now, Why do you say that we make gods out of our offenses? Because why? Our thoughts are always about the offense. Our memories always take us back to the offense. When we see the person who hurt us, we don't see a person in need of grace and mercy and prayer. Oh, no, no. All we see is the offense. All we see is what that person did to us in the past. And then there's certain situations that remind us of the offense. So it becomes a God because all of our intent, all of our, in other words, the offense takes the place of God in our hearts because we keep keeping the record of wrongs up to date and keeping the memory of the offense alive is getting all our attention and devotion. All of our attention and devotion and energy and activity is going towards maintaining our offenses towards that person that that person did to us It's keeping the memory of those things alive. And so if that is what's getting all of our attention, like the Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if I'm loving this offense with all my heart, if, if the offense is getting all of my soul, if, if, if the offense is getting all of my strength, and if it's getting all of my mind, then that, that offense has taken the place of God in my life. If I'm always thinking about it, if I'm always meditating about it, if I'm always having flashbacks about it, if I can't sleep because I'm dreaming about it, what does that mean? It means that that offense is God in my life. The offense becomes God. And then, and it's the same thing with opinions. Stubbornness is also making gods out of our opinions. No matter how much truth we preach, no matter how much truth there is or evidence to the contrary, what happens? We stay stuck on our opinions. No matter what the Bible says, we want to hold on to our opinions. So thus, and stubbornness also expresses itself in that way. But the bottom line is that when, when, when offense has all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind and we're holding on to that, it it takes the place of God in our lives. And the amount of attention we pay to nurturing the grudge, to maintaining the offense, to keeping the memory of the wrong that that person did to us alive, are the sacrifices we offer to that God. So there are certain sacrifices that we offer to the God of offense. Our memory, the nurturing, the grudge. Yeah. See, they did that on purpose. They did that on purpose. Yeah. You know, they didn't, you know, out. They, they they had to have known that that would have offended me. Oh, well, why didn't they speak to me? Oh, they spoke to everybody else. Oh, you know, such and such. They'll go over to their house, but they won't come over mine. Or or taking up somebody else's offense. Oh, I don't like the way that they treat her. They're, you know, they need to do better. I don't like how my family is treated by them. Uh, they did wrong by my family, so I'm going to get involved in that business too. And all this clannish, that clannish wickedness. No, we take up other people's offense. And that becomes all of that. And then, we, and then what do we do? We, we try to find people. The offended ones find other offended people. Offended people, it's like misery. They love company. Offended people find other offended people. They look for people who they can campaign to and who they, who they can call, bring in. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, such and such did this to me. Oh, didn't you know? Didn't you know? You, you call, you know, calling your wife out in front of people, calling your husband out in front of people, telling the family business to everybody, telling it to your friends, telling it to your family. Going on, trying to find people who agree with you because you're offended and hurt. You're offended and hurt, so let me just be reckless abandoned in the worship of my God and just go campaigning to get as many people as I can to my side. You see, that's what what offense will do, and that's what stubbornness will do. Offense breeds stubbornness. Which, in effect, is also a type of witchcraft because it leads to manipulation, intimidation for the sake of domination. You want to manipulate somebody. When you're offended, you want to manipulate them into doing what you want them to do. And if the manipulation doesn't work, so you're coercing them. You know, they don't do what you want. What do you do? Cut them off in bed won't listen to him, won't follow him, won't go where he's going, won't do what he wants to do. You won't, or you won't, love your, you won't love your wife. You won't give her the attention and affection that she needs. You won't say kind things to her. You won't give your children the affection and attention that they need because you're trying to manipulate, you're trying to get them to do what you want them to do. And that's the three main expressions of witchcraft. Uh, in the flesh, it is manipulation, intimidation, then domination, for the sake of domination. That's witchcraft. You're using another spirit to try to control somebody. That's not the Holy Spirit. And he says, and, and so these are, so again, the, the offended ones, people who are offended, who hold and nurture grudges, who make sacrifices to their God, the God of offense, by nurturing it and, 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 and by keeping the memory of it alive and, and keeping the record, keeping the record up to date. Up, oh, they didn't speak to me today. Let me write that down. Let me keep that in my memory. Up, oh, they didn't do this today. Let me let me keep note of that. Up, oh, up. Oh, oh. See, they he, look at what he did again. Look at what she did again. Let me keep. Let me keep a record of that. There are sacrifices that we offer to our God. Burn offerings that we offer to that idol, that 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 idol of offense that leads to, that only entraps us, that only sinks us, and builds the moat around us. Because you're not going anywhere spiritually until you forgive. You're going nowhere. Hear what I'm telling you. You're going nowhere. I don't care how much you try to protest about how holy you and godly you are and how much God is speaking to you and dealing with you and all this kind of stuff. I hear this stuff all the time. If you have not forgiven, you are going nowhere. Nowhere. You're not growing at all. You're not going anywhere because you build a mode around yourself. That's what unforgiveness does. You build a mode around yourself that you cannot cross until you forgive and move on. So the amount of attention we pay to nurturing the grudges, to maintaining the offenses, to keeping the memory of the wrongs that the person did to us alive, are the sacrifices we offer to the God of offense. And in this way, we become pagans. See, folks don't even know that. When, you, when you're unforgiving in bitterness, really you're losing your salvation. You become like pagans. Because why? Because pagans are idolaters, right? They worship something other than Yahweh. And it's really, and, it, and, and just like our own imagination, because that's exactly what offense will do, offense will have you imagining things that aren't real. Oh, they just don't like me. They didn't come and speak to me because they don't like me. Or they didn't, they didn't invite me because, oh, they're, they have a grudge against me. And, oh, they just think they're better than me. Such and such doesn't invite me or doesn't, they don't come over, they don't do this or that for me because they think they're better than me. And when that person is not thinking that at all, but people who are offended and bitter will imagine things like that. You see, every, when you're offended, everything becomes an offense. You become like a, you you almost become like somebody who has a, uh, with leprosy. Every, every, well, how how do I, let me, let me rephrase that. Like somebody with fibromyalgia, every touch, every, every, every touch that somebody touches you with, whether it's a, whether they're talking to you or not doing something for you or not, is never, it's always the wrong thing in your eyes. No matter what they do, the person can't do nothing right for you. They can't do nothing right to you. You can't trust them. You can't give yourself to them. You don't want, you don't believe them. You don't You. there's nothing that they can do to prove to you the other, the contrary, no matter how much, it doesn't matter what they do, no matter what they do, male, female, child, it doesn't matter what they do. You don't believe that they like you or love you or want you or whatever. You don't believe it because to you, when you're offended, everything is offensive. Everything is wrong. Nothing is right. Nothing is good. Nothing is ever good enough. That's what offended ones think. That's how they feel. That's how they behave. Everything is an offense. It's like somebody with fibromyalgia. No matter where you touch them or how you touch them, it's pain. Because that's what unforgiveness does. So you become like pagans. We become just like pagans because we're sacrificing to a God that's not Yahweh. We're giving our attention, our devotion, our energy, our minds, our thoughts and abilities to to maintaining this idol. And that's idolatry, because that's what the pagans do. Now, catch that. We are literally losing our salvation when we don't forgive. Because even Jesus tells us, what happens to the person who didn't forgive, uh, the man who owed the debt, the $10,000? The Jesus, exactly. He was put in. He he was he was uh, the the king had sentenced him to jail until he paid back the utter the last penny. The Bible says, he says he he, he said you know you you don't you don't want to forgive you don't you uh, you owe me this amount ten thousand talents that's what you owe me. He said, be patient with me and I will pay thee all. He says, be patient with me. He fell down. The Bible says, he says have patience with me. And I will pay thee all. Let me find that. I will pay. Matthew 18, Matthew 18 and 26. Matthew 18 and 26. It's a very important story here. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 26. We're talking about how demons enter into our lives. The first way that demons enter into our lives is through unforgiveness, bitterness. We give a foothold to the devil. We give a foothold to the devil because, the, because offense becomes the idol in our life, and we're going to see exactly who we're worshiping when we have idols in our life. He says, therefore, in, in Matthew chapter 18, and verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to um, account, settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that was an amount of money that no that was like an entire kingdom, only, an entire, only a kingdom could pay that amount of money. That's like something that an entire kingdom would be taxed, like in a year's time. You know what I mean? That's like the entire king, like a, a small kingdom would be taxed, something like that. And he owed that, an individual. He says, and since he could not pay, of course he couldn't pay. He could not pay. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, oh, look out. Oh, my goodness. The Lord God of heaven forgives us of a debt that we can never pay back. We can't. We 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 can never pay for our sin. Never. There's nothing that any human being in the entire world or in the history of the world could do to pay for sin until Jesus Christ has come, and He is the perpetuation for our sin, the payment for our sin. And so here we have Jesus. He's paid our sin. This is what this is saying here. He's paid for our sin. Have have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt how did our lord forgive us of our debt through the death burial and resurrection of our lord jesus (laughs) verse 28 but when that same christian went out uh, you you hear what i said there but when that same servant that same christian went out he found one of his fellow christians who owed him a hundred denarii and that's just a year's wage a hundred denarii is just a year's wage and seizing him, he began to choke him. You see, that's what offense does. Offense makes you violent. Offense makes you angry. Offense wants you, makes you want to seize the person, makes you want to do harm to the person. He says, and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And that's exactly what offense is, is demanding that somebody pay you back what they owe. But the bottom line is, is that when somebody offends you, they cannot pay it back. They can't pay it back. The person can't take back what they said to you. They can't take back what they did to you. They can't take it back. They cannot take it back. What's done is done. It's a debt that they cannot pay back. And so what do we do? I mean, what do we do when somebody owes us a debt through offense? What do you do? You have to turn to God and say, well, Lord, look, this person hurt me, but you know what? I trust you to make it up to me in the future. It's done. I cancel the debt. There's nothing the man can do. If I, if I, if I, if I were to, if I were to get revenge on him, it wouldn't undo what the man or woman did. It wouldn't undo it. It wouldn't take it back. The so revenge is pointless, and that's essentially what unforgiveness and bitterness is. All it is is a want for revenge. That's it. Unforgiveness and bitterness and nurturing grudges is only a bid for revenge. And so what? What do we do? We go to God and say, well, you know what, Lord? The past, this person did this to me. They hurt me. They wronged me. But you know what? I forgive them, Father. And you know what? I pray that whatever it is that I lost, whatever respect, honor, money, time, whatever hope, whatever thing I could have had, um, whatever, thing I, whatever thing I lost because of how they treated me, Lord God of heaven, I, I trust you to give it back to me. I trust you to make it up to me. Because revenge does nothing. Human revenge does not solve anything. In fact, you even find that with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was patient, preaching, 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 preaching. And he got to the point where he was tired of saying the same thing over and over again. So what happened? He said, Lord, do what you said. Wipe them out. Carry them off. Carry them into slavery. Carry them into Babylon. Do everything that you said that you're going to do. Do it. Do it. They don't want to listen anyway. No one wants to listen. No one wants to follow. Do what you said. Carry them off. Go ahead, just do it. Uh, Bring the judgment, bring the wrath. You find him actively praying for that. Bring the wrath, bring the judgment on these people because they don't want to learn, they don't care. But then you know what? God did it. And then what does Jeremiah do? And lamentations, all he's doing after it happens is crying. Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. All he's doing is crying because that's all revenge does. All human revenge leads to is regret, remorse, and lamentation. Just like Jeremiah, the prophet. He cried, he cried and cried and cried. The whole book of lamentation is not one, is one big book of regret about what happened to the people who he prayed that judgment will come upon. That's it. And he was right to pray that. He, was, he wasn't wrong in preaching the word. He was not wrong excuse me, he was not wrong in preaching in preaching what he preached, judgment and so on. But he got to the place where he got tired of being patient, where he got tired of them going the opposite way. So he's just like, well, just do it, do it. But then you can tell in Lamentations that he was sad and regretful that it happened. And that's all human revenge leads to. That's all offense leads to. That's all unforgiveness and bitterness leads to. All it leads to in the end is regret even if something were to happen to that person, even if you could kill that person. If you, I tell people all the time, the, when, when they have issues, when they have issues with somebody, stubbornness, and they can't go forward, they can't go forward nowhere. They can't grow, they don't want to learn. It's like they're stuck, they, they're, they're just immovable. They don't want to step outside of, 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 of their comfort zone or, or if they're angry all the time, they've got this passive aggressiveness, you know, they're up, they're, they're angry, they have this subtle anger. I say, you know, you need to forgive, I said, and you know what? You need to forgive your father and mother, and guess what? If you could kill them, if you could take your pick of a knife, a grenade, a gun, a bomb, you know, a fire, a noose, whatever, if you could take your pick of all the things that you could kill them with, it still would not undo what they did, and it will only lead to your remorse and regret in the end, and that's all it ever leads to. Now, when we keep the offense... Who is it that we're really worshiping? No. Listen. When we maintain the offense and it becomes a god and we become like pagans because we are worshiping another god besides Yahweh, because we are maintaining an offense, a grudge, because there's bitterness in our heart and we're nurturing it, we're feeding it, we're hanging around people who feed it, we're listening to things and watching movies that feed it. We're listening to music that feeds it. We're talking to people who, feed, who are also offended to feed it. We're staying away. We don't, want to, we don't want to open up. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about the offense because we want to feed it. Who are we really worshiping when we make sacrifices to the idol of unforgiveness just like pagans? In 1 Corinthians 10 and 16 through 22, the Bible says the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. He says, consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? So he's saying here, hey, are we not, if if we're partaking in the blood of, in the blood of, uh, in the cup of blessing, are we not sharing in the blood of Christ? If we're if we're breaking bread, are we not participating in the body of Christ Jesus? He says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are form one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. Verse 20. No, I imply that what the pagans sacrifice They offer to demons and not to God. You see, we come back full circle to what we talked about in in the very beginning. When we do not forgive, when we are offering up sacrifices to this God of unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts, what we are sacrificing to are demons. We are offering ourselves to demons. A lot of people wonder why you can't grow, why you can't change why certain situations keep happening to you over and over again, it is because you are under the influence of demons. The experience that we had, our sister was dealing with demons. He says, I imply that what pagans sacrifice to, what unforgiving people sacrifice to, what bitter people sacrifice to, what offended people, people sacrifice to. They offer to demons and not to God. So anything that you think that you're doing for God, you ain't doing for God. You're doing it for demons. That's who you're offering it to. If you got an offense in your heart, if you got anger in your heart, if you have unforgiveness and bitterness and vengefulness in your heart, I don't care what you do. You could be preaching the word. It could be me. I don't care what you do. You could be going on missions over, <clears throat> mission trips overseas. You could be the biggest tongue speaker in the world. You could serve people and go to the soup kitchen and do whatever. You could do all this community service, all this activity. I don't care who, what, who or what you're doing. But the bottom line is what you are doing, you are not offering that to God. That is not an offering to God. You are offering it to demons. Those are offerings to demons because all you're doing is trying to distract from the main thing. And the main thing is unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. And all that activity that you're doing is just to take your mind away from that. You're just trying to distract yourself from the elephant in the room. That's all you're doing. It's a sacrifice and it's an offering to demons. He says, no, I imply that what the pagans, the unforgiving, the bitter, the offended ones, those people who don't wanna they don't wanna show mercy, they don't wanna show grace, they don't wanna they wanna hold on to the memory of the wrong, they wanna nurture the wrong, they wanna hold the grudge, they wanna campaign and find other people who will agree with them against the person. No, he says, I imply that what these people sacrifice to, they offer to demons and not to God. And he says, I do not want you to be participants with demons. He says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. In other words, you can't have unforgiveness in your heart and sacrifice to the Lord at the same time. You can't have bitterness in your heart and then sacrifice to the Lord at the same time. You can't hold grudges in your heart and know, and know, and this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about knowing. This stuff is not about being ignorant of what's going on with you. We're talking about knowing knowing you got a grudge with somebody, knowing you're offended at somebody, knowing you're bitter against somebody. And instead of dealing with that, you want to divert your attention to some Christian, quote-unquote, Christian activity. You ain't offering nothing to God. All that is going to demons because that's what God, that's what sees in control of your life and my life. He says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So when we look at our lives and say, how is this person experiencing demonic activity in their life? One of the first places we want to look at is do they have unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense and vengefulness in their heart? Is there somebody who hurt them? Is there somebody who wronged them? Is there, and have they wronged somebody? Have they offended somebody? Have they hurt somebody? And they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to address it. They want to be cowards and go to somebody else or talk about them behind their back or talk. About, they don't want to go to the person and deal with it. They want to go campaigning. They want to go and find somebody else. They don't want to go and deal with the problem. Now, he says, what does he says, I don't want you to be a sharer. I don't want you to be a sharer with demons. That's what he's saying. I don't want to be participants and sharers of the same word. He says, I don't want you to be sharers with demons. And what does that mean? It means when we become sharers with demons, what the Bible is talking about there is that we share in the same nature as demons. You and me take on the nature of demons. We become just like them. You become just like them. When we don't forgive, when we're bitter, when we're offering up sacrifices of grudging and unforgiveness, when we and and keeping the memory of the offense alive when we do that we are sacrificing to demons and thus we become sharers with demons that means we take on their nature we be, we take on the same nature as they do we become just like them and what are they they are always destructive ruthless merciless angry full of wrath vengeful manipulative divisive rebellious devotees of Satan, God-haters, worshipers of themselves, inventors of evil things and doctrines, deceptive liars, and haters of truth. That's what demons are. They're they're spirits that are destructive. They go into a person's life and wreak havoc and fear and misery. And this is what Romans 1, 28-29 is all about. He says that when... He says when God... Romans one twenty eight through twenty nine. This is what the Bible is talking about here. Romans chapter one, verses twenty eight through twenty nine. He says this he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that I means you didn't you didn't think that it was worthwhile to follow the Lord. You didn't want to follow the Lord, you wanted to follow your own plan, you wanted to follow your own goals, you wanted to follow your own ambitions. You didn't want to listen. You wanted to follow your own purpose. your own. You didn't want to submit. You didn't want to follow. You didn't want to hear. You didn't want to acknowledge. You didn't want the truth. You didn't want to be obedient and humble and submissive. You didn't want to do any of that. You didn't want the knowledge of God. You wanted your own thing. You wanted to follow your own thing. Go in your own path. Nurture the grudge. Nurture the offense. Keep the hatred going. Keep the offense and division going. That's what you wanted. You wanted to keep it going. You there? I'm, I'm sorry. Where, did, where was the last place? Did you all hear me say Romans one twenty-eight and twenty-nine? You there? Twenty-eight. Okay, there you go. One twenty-eight. There you go. He says, "And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, you didn't want you didn't want to hear the word. You didn't want to obey. You didn't want to submit." You wanted to follow your own plan, have, uh, live by your own idea of what God is like, and do what, do what you wanted. Didn't want to submit to no authority. Don't want to be disciplined. Don't want no correction. Don't want any of that. You didn't see fit to acknowledge God and what God was trying to do in you by revealing to you your sins and your deficits, your areas of unforgiveness, your areas of bitterness, your areas where you're offended. You didn't see fit to acknowledge God. So what did God do? The Bible says God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. God says, you don't want to forgive and get it together and do what you're supposed to do and acknowledge me and what I'm trying to do? Fine. I'm going to give you over. And you find many instances of that in the Bible where God gives people over because they don't want to get it right. God gave over the ancient world with Noah and the flood. They didn't want to repent. Noah preached for 100 years. Nobody cared what he had to say. All of them died except Noah and his family. Genesis chapter 11, God gives the world a second chance through the Tower. What do they do? They build the Tower Babel to try to create heaven on earth without God. What does God do? God disinherits them, spreads them throughout the whole world, assigns lesser gods, lesser Elohim to them. That's angelic spirits. What do they do? They turn around and form idols. They make, they, they make the people worship them instead of worshiping God. So then what does God do? God disinherits them, say, fine, I'm done working with all y'all. I'm going to work with one group of people. I'm going to work with Israel. God uh, allows Israel to go into Egypt what happens? They come out they don't want God. God starts killing them by the thousands because they don't want to submit. God threatens to disinherit them and take on Moses and make a nation out of him. Moses begs for mercy, he says don't do that. He spares them, brings them into the land. They, they take over the land over almost 400 years 400 years of idolatry and, uh, and, 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 and rebellion against God. What does he do? He says I'm taking you out I'm wiping you out of history. The northern country, Israel, is taken out by the Assyrian Empire, spread throughout the whole world. The southern, the southern kingdom, Judah, is taken into exile. All of it ends up coming under the control of Babylon. And out of Babylon, only a few people come out, and that's what Nehemiah and Ezra is all about, that few, those few number who came out of Babylon to separate themselves to God. And then we see the same exact thing happening in the church, even today, in the world today. God is still giving up men. When, you, when we reach a point where we don't want to hear the truth and we don't want to turn, we don't want to forgive, we don't want to move beyond the offense, God just says, I'm going to give you over to it. Fine, let this demon have, have control over you and have the rule over you and over your family since you don't want to obey. And this is the only thing that might get your attention. I'm going to let it happen. He says, they were filled, verse 29, with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice. Them. And that's exactly what demons do. Everything I just read is exactly what, nature, what demons do. They either, they either do those things or inspire those things in people. And that's exactly the nature that we take on. God gave them over to their sinful nature, which is the same nature as Satan and the demons, which is rebelliousness. But we were chosen to be partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1 and 3 through 4 talks about that. We were, we were called to be partakers of the divine nature. And what is God's divine nature? God's divine nature is love. 1 John 4, 7-8 says that. God is love. That is the nature of God. And what is love? 1 Corinthians 13 and 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The motive behind all unforgiveness as i said earlier is revenge we only have two natures that we can take on we can either take on the forgiving loving merciful nature of our lord jesus christ or we can take on the vengeful bitter unforgiving nature of demons we have a choice today all of us do and i and when i preach i'm preaching from experience i'm not preaching to you something that i don't know and haven't experienced in my life i've experienced it firsthand when when i I had i had a grudge with my father for years, and my mother for years, and I didn't even know it. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I think that's one of the reasons why God was so merciful to me was because there was so much I just did not know. But when I came into the knowledge of the truth, when I had other people like my, you know, like my wife re- encouraging me to reconnect with my father, and I was reconnecting with him even in college. But but that that grudge, that that anger was still there, and we had to keep reaching out, keep connecting, keep trying. Until breakthrough happened, and praise the Lord, breakthrough did happen. Glory to God. I want to conclude here with a warning. As I wrap up here, 1 John chapter 3, 4 through 10, and then we're going to quit. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, and then we're going to stop. This issue of unforgiveness is the way that demons enter into our life. That's the re- there's a reason why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't let give the devil a foothold because it's almost like a door. Unforgiveness is like a door. And when you shut that door, unforgiveness allows Satan to put his foot in that door. All he needs is just a little crack, just a little crack of it. If the door is cracked because Satan's foot is in it, he is going to flood your entire life with his wickedness and evil because that's all he needs. It's like you say, don't give the, don't, let the devil, don't let the devil ride because if you let him ride, he's going to want to drive. If you give the devil an inch, he's going to take a mile. If you give him a finger, he's going to take over your whole body. It's the same principle. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, I'm going to read it the way that the Bible says it, and then I'm going to insert unforgiveness in there. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who the children of God and who the children of the devil, who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now I'm going to insert unforgiveness and grudges into these verses here. Everyone who makes a practice of unforgiveness and grudging also practices lawlessness. For unforgiveness is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on being unforgiving and holding grudges. No one who keeps on, who keeps on being unforgiving and holding grudges has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices unforgiveness and holding grudges—I mean, whoever practices righteousness—is righteous as he is righteous, or forgiveness. Uh, Whoever practices forgiveness is righteous as he is uh, righteous. Whoever makes a practice of unforgiveness and holding grudges is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of unforgiving, unforgiveness, or holding grudges. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on being unforgiving or holding grudges because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice forgiveness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see that? When you plug that into there, it's, it's, it's crystal clear who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever practices unforgiveness and, and bitterness and holding grudges and so on is not from God. Whoever practices forgiveness and mercy and has grace and prays for the person who wants reconciliation. And sometimes it's not possible. But that person who forgives, that person is from God. And we have to do that. We have to do that. Our sister, when we experienced, I feel this conviction because of what our sister went through the other Sunday. And now I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm gonna pray some prayers. I wanna pray two prayers to break off some of these generational curses and these generational issues of unforgiveness that we have. These issues that we have that, have, that don't just are, that are, are of us but don't just originate with us. These generational curses, these family grudges, all these things I want to deal with in prayer. Let's pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, we repent for all generational idolatry. We repent for all personal and generational rebellion, stubbornness, and disobedience that have contributed to witchcraft in our lives and in our generational lives. We repent for all envy and jealousy of the mind, physical bodies, and personalities of others. We repent for any worship of ourselves and any need of personal recognition. We repent for all envy and jealousy of the spiritual giftings and capacities of others. We repent for ourselves and for those in our generational line who did not guard the gates of the spiritual and physical senses. We repent for choosing our will above the will of the Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, we pray that you will reveal to us any people, any person that we need to forgive and any areas of unconfessed sin reveal aspects of our lives that are not pleasing to you father and ways that have given or could give Satan a foothold in our lives father we give to you any unforgiveness we give to you our sins and we give to you all the ways that Satan has had a hold on our lives. and we thank you for your forgiveness and for your love father In the name of Yeshua, we break and dissolve any and all curses, hexes, spells, snares, traps, lies, obstacles, deceptions, diversions, spiritual influences, evil wishes, evil desires, hereditary seals, known and unknown, word curses we spoke or that others have spoken over us, and every dysfunction and disease from any source, including my mistakes and sins. In the name of Yeshua, we sever the transmission of any and all satanic vows, hats, spiritual bonds, soul ties, and satanic works. In the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, we break and dissolve any and all links and effects of links with astrologers, bohomos, channelers, charters, clairvoyants, crystal healers, crystals, fortune tellers, mediums, the New Age movement, occult seers, palm, tea leaf, or tarot card readers, psychics, santeros, satanic cults, spirit guides, witches, witch doctors, and voodoo. In the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, we dissolve all the effects of participation in seances and divination, Ouija boards, horoscopes, occult games of all sorts, pornography, sexual movies, sexual magazines, sexual images, and any other form of worship that does not offer true honor to Jesus Christ anything that we've offered our eyes to, any movies, music, television, that did not honor our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask forgiveness for these things. Holy Spirit, please reveal to us through a word of knowledge any evil spirits that have attached themselves to us in any way, whether it be anger, arrogance, bitterness, brutality, confusion, cruelty, deception, envy, fear, hatred, insecurity, jealousy, pride, resentment, manipulation, or terror. Any of those, in the name of Jesus Christ, we rebuke those. And we ask that in place of those, Father, we pray for charity, compassion, faith, gentleness, hope, humility, joy, kindness, light, love, mercy, modesty, patience, peace, purity, security, tranquility, trust, truth, understanding, and wisdom. Help us to walk in your light and truth, illuminated by your Holy Spirit, so that together we may praise and honor and glorify you, our Father, both in time and in eternity. For you alone, our Lord Jesus Christ, are the way, the truth, and the life. And it is in that name that we pray and break all these generational curses that keep bitterness and grudges and unforgiveness and, and, and all this idolatry of unforgiveness, bitterness, and nurturing grudges. We, in the name of Jesus, we cast all that down. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Family of God, you all have a wonderful, wonderful day. And God bless you. And be healed. Be delivered. Find somebody you need to forgive. Call out their name. Think about it. Ask the Lord. Comply. Do what you heard today. Get free. Get free from this so you can love somebody as the Lord God of heaven has commanded. Think of somebody you need to forgive and find them and reconcile with them if it's possible. Ask the Lord to give you the strength to forgive. I mean it. Get, forgive so you can love. You can love your spouse, love your children, love everybody. In the name of Jesus Christ, there's people who've hurt you. There's people who've wronged you. There's people who've done evil to you. Forgive them. Forgive the white man, okay? Forgive the white man. We've got to forgive white people for what they've done. We got to forgive them. We got to we got to get rid of this dumb race burden. We got to get rid of that. All this antagonism, uh, all this burden of race, trying to get back at the man. No, we got to be done with that. Move on from that. Anybody, anybody who's wrong us, we got to forgive because it's about the kingdom of God coming into the world, beginning with ourselves. We got to overcome in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and God. We've got to overcome so we can love each other. Amen. 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 All right. Love,
1: y'all. Bye. bye Well, we want to thank the good Lord for this this moment. You know, it's it's, it's like it was needed. It was needed. And God orchestrated a way for it to be heard and received. So we thank him for conducting the service today, and we worship him. God knows all things, and as our sister mentioned, we all have needs. And our pastor and brother just deliver the message that God wants us to hear. So we thank him. thank him. And if any one of you wants to hear this message again, you can call me and I will show you how you can listen to it and receive it. And any other messages that have been heard in time past, you can call and I will find a way for you to hear it again. So have a blessed and a wonderful afternoon. Stay safe. Stay in Christ. Amen. Amen, man
0: of God. Amen. Uh, send it to me. I'll take it. Amen. Amen. Uh, Hi, Reby Moulin. <laughs>